of the greatest stories of faith come from God's chosen people in the Old Testament. What can we learn from these men and women who were earnestly seeking God? Walk with us as we capture snapshots of faith from the great cloud of witnesses and the lessons we can learn from them today. Well, this morning, we're going to be taking a snapshot from the life of Solomon. There's so much we could talk about with Solomon. But if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, and I'm going to read a little section of this chapter, but I'm going to end up talking about the entire chapter. So you might, if you have your Bible, just keep it open. But this is an amazing beginning to the reign of Solomon. And Solomon, he has his high points, he has his low points. We could spend a long time studying the life of Solomon and learning from his good examples, learning from his bad examples, learning from his good choices, and also learning for his disappointing choices. But I'm going to begin reading in 1 Kings 3, chapter 4. The king, speaking of Solomon, went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask whatever you want me to give you. Boy, wouldn't you love that? Ask me whatever you want me to give you. We read on. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child. Actually, he was about 40. When he says, I'm only a child, he's talking about his understanding, his wisdom, his discernment. He says, he says, um, I'm sorry, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties as king. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So, Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? God, give me wisdom. God, give me discernment. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and my commandments, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. There is so much that we can learn from the life of Solomon. 
His father, David, died in 961 BC, almost a thousand years before Jesus was born. And one of his sons, David had many wives, David had many children, but one of his sons named Solomon was chosen by God to be the king, the next king over the people. In this, I want you to see four powerful truths this morning, things that can make a difference in how we live our lives, can change the trajectory of your life. And that's true for all of us, whether we're 120 years old or whether we're six years old. And so I want you to hear what God has to say to us this morning. Here's the first thing I want you to see. And actually, this comes from the first chapter. The rest will come from chapter three. God can take the messes of our lives and he can do something absolutely extraordinary. Now I wonder if you believe that this morning. Here's the reality. All of us have made messes in our lives. Some more than others. There are some of you, when I just mention messes or mistakes, you're immediately thinking of something. Sometimes those messes hurt just us, but often they touch the people around us as well. They don't hurt just us, but it becomes something that hurts the people that surround us. This is what happened in the story of Solomon's father, David. One of the biggest messes that David made in his life happened when his army was away fighting on behalf of David and on behalf of Israel. And one day, as he was in his castle where he shouldn't have been, he should have been with his army, but he was in his castle and he's looking out and he sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba who was sunning herself on the top of her of her house, and he's attracted to her, and he brings her, has her brought to the palace, and he, she becomes pregnant with his child. David wants to, wants to push away the responsibility. David wants to clean up the mess, and so he devises all these different plans to try to make it so that the real father the, the, I'm sorry, the real husband of Bathsheba will think that he's the real father. But every plan that he tries to implement doesn't work, and so finally what David does, essentially he has the husband of Bathsheba murdered. He's in the army, and he, David instructs his commanding officer, put him at the front of the line, charge the enemy, and then at your word, everybody but Uriah will back away and indeed, he was killed by the enemy. David thinks he's gotten away with this mess that he's made. He thinks, wow, nobody knows. But God knows. And God reveals to Nathan, the prophet, what David has done. Nathan comes to David, and he confronts him. And David takes responsibility before God for all that he has done. Bathsheba has the baby, the baby dies. But then they have another son. 
And of all the children that David has, who is it that God selects to be the king that would succeed David? It's Solomon. Solomon who is, comes from the union of David and Bathsheba. Who but God would do that? Who but God would do that? What is God doing? He is reflecting to us his incredible mercy, his incredible grace. Here's one of the biggest mistakes, one of the biggest messes that David had made in his life. And it would have all sorts of consequences, not just for him, but for the nation. There would be all sorts of consequences. And yet yet God brings something remarkable, something beautiful out of the ashes of that mistake, of that mess. Listen to what we read here in verses 28 to 30. David has not yet died, but he, through the wisdom of God, is selecting the next king. Then King David answered, call Bathsheba to me, bring Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, out of every struggle, out of every mess, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, even so will I do this day. What? David, you've got so many other sons. Why Solomon? Because God is saying something to us, even today, that he can take the messes, the mistakes, the regrets that we have for past things done and undone, past things said and not said, and he can bring something beautiful out of that in such a way that God brings life where there was death. When I mention mistake, there are some of you here today who you can't even think about that mistake without feeling an enormous sense of regret. So what do we do? We do what David did. What did David do? Well, after being found out, it took a while, but David went before God and he confessed what he had done. He came clean before God, and he said, this is what I have done, O Lord. Psalm 32, Psalm 51, two beautiful responses of David to his sin. If you are here this morning, and when I mention mistake or regret or mess, and we all have them, but it still dogs you to this day, I want to challenge you to go before God, maybe read Psalm 51, Psalm 32, and I want you to confess your sin to the Lord, and then I want you to pray this prayer, God, can, will you build something beautiful, something extraordinary out of the mess that I have made? God, would you redeem the pain that I created in the lives of others? and in my own life. Friends, I have seen God do that in my life. God is the expert of taking ashes 
and building something beautiful. But we have to invite him and we have to allow him. Here's a second thing that I want you to see as we look at the snapshot of Solomon. Solomon's first request was not for wealth, it was not for honor, it was not for fame, it was not for fortune, it wasn't even for good relationships, although that's what comes out of this. It's for discernment or wisdom, wisdom. Listen to what he says, and I just read it a few moments ago. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. Again, he's talking about his, his understanding of how to lead. He's saying, this is too much for me. I can't do this. It's more than I can handle. And he says, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between what is good and what is evil, for who is able to govern this great people? Oh, God, I'm in over my head. God, I want to serve this people in a way that honors them and honors you. God, give me wisdom. God, give me discernment. Now, wisdom is a big word in the Bible. And I kind of created a, a definition that I think is a good summary, but it's far deeper than this. But biblical wisdom, now listen to this, is knowing how to live a life that reflects the character of God in everyday circumstances and then doing it. It's just not knowing the right thing to do, but it's then doing it. So wisdom is looking at circumstances that we deal with every day in our lives, every day at work, at school, at home, in the neighborhood, on the ball field, wherever, and knowing how to respond in a way that honors God. That's wisdom. That's discernment. Friends, you and I both need wisdom. We need wisdom in how we conduct our business in a way that honors God. We need wisdom in how we live as a student in school. We need wisdom in how to love our spouse, how to love our family, how to love our neighbors, how to love our enemies. We need wisdom to know how to use our time. We need wisdom to know how to use our possessions, our money. We need wisdom in order to make everyday decisions that honor God. Now, I want to make something very clear. Wisdom is different than intellectual capacity. It's different than intelligence. Some of you may remember or may know the name. He's been in the news this week. Sam Bankman-Fried. Anybody know that name? Yes. Sam Bankman-Fried is an incredibly intelligent man. His parents were both professors at Stanford University. And he, he, uh, he went to MIT, graduated, and went into cryptocurrency. And was basically trading, created a company that's trading cryptocurrency on behalf of others. Before he was 30 years old, he was worth about $16 billion. Very smart man. If you followed the news this week, 
Sam Bankman-Fried was sentenced to 120 years in prison. He's now 31 years old, probably will spend the rest of his life in prison for fraud in different areas of his business. And as I heard a commentator talking about this, not a Christian commentator that I know of, but here's what he said. Sam Bankman Freed was incredibly intelligent, but he didn't have wisdom. He didn't have wisdom. See, you don't need to be incredibly intelligent to have wisdom because wisdom is given by God. It's making decisions each and every day in light of who God is, in light of his character. Every week you know that I include in the bulletin, I include a, or we include readings for the next week to prepare you for the sermon for the next week, daily readings. If you did those readings last week, I had you reading a lot of Proverbs. Solomon is believed to have been the author of much of what is called the wisdom literature in the Bible. The book of Proverbs, the book of Song of Songs, the book of Ecclesiastes. It's believed that he was the author of those three books. I want to give you a deeper understanding of wisdom and the impact it can make in your life. And so what we see in, in the book of Proverbs we see that Proverbs that I had you read this week teaches you this about wisdom. I want you to see this. It's so good. Wisdom is of greatest value. Listen to what Solomon says. Blessed is the one, the one, you, me, who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, speaking of wisdom, the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. Do you believe that? We don't as a culture. We don't believe that. How many commercials do you see? Man, get wisdom. Get wisdom. No, we hear just do it. Just buy this and your life will be transformed. Doesn't happen. You need wisdom. He says, and it, uh, it, he says this, she, wisdom, is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire, nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. <coughs> Excuse me. Amazing. We see also that wisdom begins with the decision to obey God. We read in Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord just means revering God. It's not being afraid of him. It's revering him, remembering that he is God and we are not. He is the creator, we are the created. And he says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. Fools, fools despise wisdom and instruction. We read on and we see that wisdom is very practical. I'm just gonna share a couple of these, a uh, couple of the Proverbs, of hundreds of Proverbs that you could read. If you're not familiar with the Bible and you've never read Proverbs, you have to read Proverbs. And you can't just read it fast. You have to reflect deeply about each one. Here's one. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent, the wise, hold their tongues. Wow. So what does it mean when he says sin is not ended by multiplying words? 
was talking about the fact that when we do something wrong or we want to be right and we, we argue with people and we present our position and we, we tell everybody that we're right and we justify and we defend and we blame, all of those words just lead us deeper and deeper into brokenness. Sin is, multi- is not ended by multiplying words. It go, we go deeper in our sin. But the prudent, the wise, hold their tongue. They listen. They listen. We read on and we see before here in Proverbs 18, 12. Again, these are just a few examples. Before a, down, before a downfall, before I go over the cliff, before I make a huge mistake in my life, the heart is haughty, means prideful. What is prideful? I just want to promote me. And that's our natural inclination. I just want to promote me. Before I make a fall, I have a, I have a prideful heart. But humility comes before honor. When I live with humility, I am honored. I am honored. This is true, because this is how we were created. And then as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. What does that mean? It means that we are to be in relationships with others in such a way that they challenge me and I challenge them. We are to be in relationships with each other where people speak the truth to you and you receive that truth. And I speak the truth into the lives of others and they receive that truth. Because friends, I don't see what's true about me. You remember reading the emperor's new clothes? It's embarrassing, isn't it? But that's a great reminder of a reality that we see what we want to see, but we don't see what is true. We need others, and sometimes they're children, aren't they, who tell us the truth. Third thing I want you to see is an example of Solomon's wisdom. And that is the rest of chapter three of 1 Kings. And I'm gonna just go through this quickly. Such an incredible example of the wisdom that God had given to Solomon. Here's the first account. This is amazing. Please pay attention to this. This is the first account that's happening after Solomon has been given wisdom by God to rule the people. What happens is, Two prostitutes come before the king asking him to decide their dilemma, their problem, their argument. What's the problem? Both these prostitutes got pregnant, had children at about the same time. One of the prostitutes, their child died. She claimed then that the other prostitute's child was her child. Now I want you to hear this. King Solomon is going to hear their case. Here's their case. It was unheard of for a king to take time to listen to prostitutes. He's the king. I'm sure people were saying, doesn't he know who they are? They are rejected in the culture. They're on the outside of, of godly culture. They were pushed away, they were forgotten, they were, they were insignificant to everybody. The, a king would never take time to meet with prostitutes. 
But Solomon has the wisdom of God to make everyday decisions in light of the character of God. Who is God? God is merciful. God is gracious. God loves these two prostitutes. They were created in the image of God. And though no king in the world would take time to meet with them, a king who has the wisdom of God reflects the heart of God and meets with these two women. This is scandalous on one level, but on the level that we see it through, it is the beauty and the glory and the goodness of God. You may be here this morning and you may think, boy, with what I've done in my life or failed to do, God is not impressed and he doesn't want me. I will tell you, the truth of God's word is that God loves you. He is merciful. He is gracious. It's the lie of Satan to keep you away from God. God wants you as part of his family and part of his kingdom. Some of you need to hear that word today. But then here's what happens. It's just so smart, and many of you know this story, but here's how David responds to their dilemma. Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, divide the child into two. (laughs) Cut him into two. And give one half to the one and half the other half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is her mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. There is not a person in, who is in this room or hearing my voice online who does not need wisdom. You and I face circumstances every day where we need the wisdom of God, and we'll close with this. Life lessons, lesson number four It's a simple challenge. Where do you need the wisdom of God in your life today? Where do you need the wisdom of God? Listen to what it says in James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, now I want you to think about this in your relationships with your family, your relationships outside your family, in the daily decisions you're making, in your work, in your school, in your future life decisions, how you use your time, how you use your money, the words you choose to use, how you walk with God each and every day, what character traits you need to work on, how you choose friends. Do you need wisdom in those decisions? Absolutely. Absolutely. You and I need wisdom, God's wisdom, that we would make decisions that are consistent with the character of God. So James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, do you have children? Are you raising children? If you're raising children and don't think you need wisdom, you are wrong. You are in over your head. 
you need wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, without finding fault. What does that mean? It means that God does not look at you and ask, are you worthy of wisdom? He gives because he's a gracious God and he gives wisdom. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like one who, like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord for they are double-minded, unstable in all their ways. So we ask God, give me wisdom. I want to challenge you. In the next 24 hours, I want you to make a list of some of the areas of your life where you need the wisdom of God. And I want you to read James 1, 5 to 8, and I want you to ask God, give me wisdom in this area, oh God. And where I doubt, give me strength to believe. I want to close with this this story. Queen Elizabeth II is known as, uh, was, died last year and was loved throughout the world. Not just in Great Britain, not just in London, but throughout the world. When she died, countries gave days to honor this woman. Brazil, Australia, Jamaica, all took time to honor this great woman. What is it about this woman that made her so extraordinary? I would tell you, it was her relationship with God. Listen to what she said. In 1952, her first Christmas broadcast, she said this, pray for me, pray for me, that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making, and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. In 2016, she said, billions of people now follow Christ's teaching and find in him the guiding light for their lives. I am one of them. And she goes on and she goes on. Her life reflected the wisdom of God and the world stopped and noticed and they honored her. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the extraordinary God that you are. We thank you for your love and your grace and your goodness. Lord, may we have wisdom. God, I pray, I mean, there are so many things that we saw in the life of Solomon today that challenge us. Maybe in different ways we've been challenged, but Lord, by your spirit, would you help us to take that which you want us to hear today and to make it a part of our lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.